Welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. I'm Eric. I'm Curtis. And today we have a guest star, TJ, the Mecha Kid Reese. Say hi, TJ. How you doing? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, we're here to talk about movies that we saw this week with our usual twist. Uh, on this show, TJ, there are winners and a loser. The loser is the person with the most points. Curtis and I, as we last totaled, are neck and neck at 50 <laughs> points apiece. 50 points apiece. Yeah, you get points in one of two ways. You can either claim an opinion is fact, like Zack Snyder should be the only one making any comic book movies, or you can say something subjective and either take the point, like, I really like when Zack Snyder makes comic book movies, or you can take 60 seconds to support the reason you formed your opinion using objective details, avoiding the buzzer. Like, I acknowledge that he's not very good at making women feel purposeful and useful without them, you know, living up to masculine ideals of what is quote-unquote awesome. But I still feel like the sense of style and direction he brings to things is unique to him and works really well for the sort of iconography that you usually read in a comic book. So, what did we watch this week? Listeners at home, if you can guess. Start with TJ. TJ, what did you watch? Oh, Justice League. That's, he that's, watched that's what I watched. Justice League. Curtis, and, what did you watch? Uh, I watched uh, Zack Schneider's Justice League and uh, Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition. Well, yeah, we all watched we all watched the Snyder Cut. That's, yes, that's yes, what we're we going to talk about today. I don't even, I don't even know who, who... Who's Josh Whedon? Who? Who? At this point, I guess he's disappeared a little bit. Um, I don't even know who that is. So, so I'm checking wiki right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's like some dude. That's the whole wiki. Oh, the Avengers guy. Yeah, the all oh, right. Oh yeah, the, the Avengers, Avengers guy. He, directed, he, he what directed two of two of those things? I mean, and this is yeah, Justice League, so. so that's why we would bring it up. It's like the equivalent. There's no other real reason. Okay, yeah. So we watched the Snyder cut. Why would anyone want to talk about the Snyder Cut? I can't think of any reasons. Hmm. Could it be that it was out on HBO Max the same time as Falcon and Winter Soldier? <laughs> well, that's one that it reason. was heavily advertised for the past two weeks? That would definitely be one reason. Mm-hmm. And that would definitely be another reason. I mean, I do have a real reason. I just can't say it because I don't want to lose any points. So... What reason you wanted to watch it beforehand? Was it because of Justice League? It was because of Justice League. Yeah, and you know, the fact that you can talk to fish. I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't want to hear that anymore. <laughs> what I wanted to ask first, did this feel like just your average director's cut? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. Is this different from what we've gotten in the past when we get the director's cut of a movie that came out? I don't think it's that different. You know, like Superman 2, you have the Donner cut that came out years later. They came out and did this. It was essentially the same thing as the Snyder cut. Yeah. Um, You have uh, the rated R cut of Daredevil that came out after 2003. But TJ, you said no. So I'm curious, uh, because I think I agree with you that we're looking at different something different here. Uh, So I'm curious what you, your take on why no. Simply because a lot of holes were filled. Um, A lot of characters got their arcs completed, in my opinion. Uh, There was a lot of context that was added to the movie. 
uh, you and I pointed this out when we were watching it uh, the other day. Um, everything from Stephen Wolf's reason, like, oh yeah, I'm just coming to the planet to conquer it. No, he literally had motivation for it. Like, I need to get back into good graces and things like that. And it wasn't just backstory. He took direct no, it wasn't. action it wasn't. to try to fill it out. And mm. there were direct consequences aimed in that direction. Like you could it I really say that also because when you look at Stefan Wolf, everything he was doing, you could see the emotion and the drive behind everything he was doing. It was like, yes, I'm conquering people, I'm kicking names and taking ass, but at the same time He's over here. He's really fighting for something. He was like, yes, I have to conquer this world. And then, yes, I have to impress Darkseid. I need to get back in everyone's good graces. I'm. He is a warrior. He's, he's not unlike Diana in the fact that he is... There was... Really they drew mm-hmm. a particular link between him and Diana. In the, yes. They focused on that. They are literally mirrors. They are literally mirrors. Um... You know, Stephen Wolf is trying to impress his father. Diana is trying to live up to her mother. That's what that is, uh, in retrospect. But I honestly, guess I, it's interesting. I didn't think about that, but you can, I can kind of see what you're talking about. They're like a, yeah, like they both went against the wishes of the person that is in charge of them, was kicked out, and, and know that they're not able to return to a realm where they used to live. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's this sort of bitter projection from. Steppenwolf onto Wonder Woman, like, where were you when everyone died? And mm-hmm. so Steppenwolf was like, I wish I was back there so that I could live up to being what I want to be. Wonder Woman seems to have accepted that she's not where she was going to be. And so he, like, throws it in her face in that moment. I had not thought of that before. Mm-hmm. The thing that I took away from all of this, and the reason why I say it's not just another director's cut, is because of the amount of time and energy that was put into the reshooting, the the character development, the rewrites. Um, it really felt like a completely different movie. It really felt like a complete. I felt like I was. Wa- I knew I was watching the same movie, but it was so completely different. I'm gonna I'm gonna go this far as to say that I don't I really don't feel like this is the same as another director's cut. Also, like uh, like uh, Richard Donner's Superman Two is the closest you can get. Where when Richard Donner left Superman Two, the person reshot scenes. The character General Zod changed from being a little more quippy to a little more like direct and you know aggressive. Uh, a lot of the stunt and action sequences that were filmed and filled in were edited drastically differently Mm -hmm. and didn't feel like the editing and style of the first Superman movie. And uh, all the way down to an ending for Rich Superman 2, where Superman, like in the first original movie, reverses time to save people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you would think that would be the closest comparison, but here's the thing. We've never had something that was supposed to be foundational like this, altered like this. So it, it doesn't, it's not a director's cut of a movie. It's an alternative take on a interconnected universe. Mara has a British accent. She did not have a British accent in Justice League or in Aquaman. Mm-hmm. So... fundamentally different character branched across multiple movies. So you're not just director cutting this Justice League movie. You're fundamentally showing a different version of a character that's across multiple movies. 
and uh, the consequences of what certain actors and characters do are drastically different. So Aquaman, the way that they go into his backstory in this, if there's an argument that could be had about whether he they, he makes some of the backstory of Aquaman redundant. They really took their time with this to give you a cyborg movie, a mini flash movie, an Aquaman movie. It's very odd to see that this shaped such a different and, and intentionally by including a lot of the nightmare sequence stuff. They even show you how different the future was going to be. Yes. Yes, they did. Um, and I totally agree with that. And the funny thing about Aquaman, and I picked this up immediately after watching, you know, the solo movie, the Justice League, and watching the Snyder Cut. Um, you can actually pin Aquaman. He's, he's, the, he's exactly the archetype of the once and future king the reluctant person who wants to take up that responsibility. That thing about, oh, I'm from both worlds where one accepts me and the other one looks at me as a bastard child, but he finds, he finds his place with the justice league. And, you know, he's like you said yesterday, he disagrees with everything everybody else is saying. Oh, well, I'll shout out to uh, my brother-in-law, Ami, who just kind of, it almost seems like a writing device was that Aquaman was more the character that if you need conflict, if you need someone to bring what they're not saying out, Aquaman is going to be Aquaman. Poke them. (laughs) Hashtag nerd. Right. When when Cyborg is talking about all of the technical things that he can do. He was such a bro. He was such a bro. Just gives him this look like I would flush your head in a toilet if we were in a high school. Like that's he did. Introduce you to every piranha I know, nerd. Mm. I so fully expected so you can talk to computers. The guy who can talk to fish is throwing that backhanded remark at Cyborg. I fully expected that it'd be some sort of retaliation, but I don't know. No, they knew better. They they knew better. That's that's why they didn't do it. Like I wholeheartedly know that somebody on set was like, "Yeah, we're not gonna, we're we're not gonna, so we're not gonna do that." I want to talk about expectations and whether they met them. Now, this is a tricky subject where people can earn points. Okay, so I'm gonna start with Curtis. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me what you wanted to see factually in it and whether or not you saw it hmm. without getting tripped up on being like, and they didn't do it and that sucks and then getting bugs. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to see more of, uh, was the characters getting more fleshed out because in the, uh, justice league, uh, cut, you have a lot of characters that feel one note. Uh, like for one, like cyborg for me, for this movie, like I, I, I didn't vocalize this during the uh, while while we were all all watching it. He felt more like a main character in this movie than he did in the other one. Uh, uh, one of the you. first things that you see in the movie is uh, during during the opening shot, uh, you see him looking at the mother box, reacting to Superman's death, uh, and he plays a central role in explaining uh, the uh, the uh, xenotechnology to. Uh, the other members of the Justice League who can't, who can't quite understand what's what's uh, going on, and it dives into how he has the ability to interact and understand this uh, machinery, and you don't get any of that in the original cut. So mm-hmm. you delve into his his character more, you get more of a uh, Barry Allen's character. I don't know about 
uh, you or TJ, he felt more like the Barry Allen that I'm aware of from, say, Young Justice. Yeah, but he did have more of Wally West's characteristics than he did anything else. I stand by that he feels like Wally West, but... I'll I'll defer to TJ's opinion on on that. um, Essentially, like, nothing broke my expect. Like, where my... I I, I can't say that my expectations were exceeded. They were met, for sure. Uh, Well, TJ, what about you? I really... Only thing I expected was more backstory and more context, which I got in spades, uh, specifically for Cyborg. I have a bit of a bias because I love the character, the characterization of Cyborg in any kind of medium, whether it be animated, uh, text, or a movie. I, yeah, take my point away. I don't care. Take my point. I don't care. Cyborg's lit, okay? Hashtag Cyborg, okay? Yeah. It's the same point. I love, Once you've I love the, the point, I love the context. You can, you... I love the context. I wanted completion. That's what I wanted and expected from this movie was completion. You know, with all of the pseudo-sexual Freudian stuff with Cyborg, you almost <laughs> got some completion from Cyborg. I did. I almost did. He's about he's about a ninety-five percent complete. See, see, here's the thing that I couldn't stop thinking of from about halfway through the movie is Curtis and I a little while ago watched Tetsuo the Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. an aggressively sexual movie. Oh yeah, yes it is. And ha- have you seen it? Yes, I have. It, yeah, well, as you know, it's it's all about machinery, and there's like machine rape and all these kinds of things, and it's yeah. just like something about literally depicting cyborg weaving his fingers into his mother, because that's what it is, right? They they even straight up make the connection that. One of the chapters is called Your Father Twice. He was your father twice. So who was the mother in that situation? I don't know. The mother box? box yeah. mm. So here he is weaving his fingers. And I point out at one point, because they didn't give him the uh, standard symbol that shows up at the end of Justice League. He just has this slit opening in his chest. And there was just something. There, it was just too f- Freudian on too many levels at a certain point to me, which I did say too many. So, um, yeah, hit that button. <laughs> kind of funny, yeah. yeah. So, your expectations—did you see what you wanted to see? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes, I did actually. Now I had a ludicrous number of specific expectations for this. Mm-hmm. I expected to see Martian Manhunter's cameo. I did not get that expectation the way that I thought it would. What I expected to see was the scene from Justice League where Martha and Lois had had this relationship going on. She's been there for her. But there's a point where Martha visits her at work and checks in on how she's doing and then leaves. And the storyboard that was released early on when before this this was greenlit Mm -hmm. was that that's the point at which she turns into Martian Manhunter and turns into the guy that Lois has had this ongoing relationship with since the first, since Man of Steel, mm-hmm. where he's low-key been like, I can't bring too much attention to myself, but here's the medal that proves that Lex Luthor is behind what's going on with Superman, and he's been, like, Martian Manhunter's had agency since the beginning. In this movie, what happened was he demonstrated a lot of personal insight into Martha Kent's life. And so we never actually see Martha Kent, the character. We have no idea what's really going on with her. Other than that she's losing her house. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So, 
I, I, you gotta be fair on some things like that. So I gotta say that expectation didn't follow through. Another expectation, Batfleck was gonna die. You can see the threads of how this was going to happen. You have Cyborg acknowledging Batman's nightmare world, Batman talking about his nightmare world, everyone building up that Lois's death visually seemed to be the quote-unquote key that set off Superman being angry. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me that right towards the end, there's still dialogue and an interaction left in the movie with uh, the Joker in a dream sequence pointing out to Batman how many other people are going to die in your place before you make the choice to be the one who dies. Yeah. And so to me, the idea is Batman is going to have this foreshadowed possibility because of the Flash coming back in Batman v Superman to take her place. And then the thing that Zack Snyder has already revealed before is that uh, that pregnancy test that we saw but didn't see anything else done with in mm-hmm. Lois Lane's apartment, they named that child Bruce. Yeah. So that was an expectation that I can understand, I think, the logic behind why it wasn't there. Um, I expected The Flash to have a different personality. And it's not that his personality is different. I still think it would have been a lot better if you had called this character Wally West. This eh, this is a personal thing, so I'm getting buzzed here. But um, I don't have a problem with Wally West's dad also being in prison for having killed his mom. I understand some comic book fans might have a problem with that. Yeah. But I feel like if you had said... If you had... Uh, done that. Mm-hmm. You could leave the door open for Barry Allen to be the Barry Allen f- for fans of the Flash show. Okay. Um, and so you'd have both of them, you know, kind of coexisting. Yeah. So the thing is that exceeded my expectations. They they didn't change his personality much, but they gave him more of being a person. And Curtis, you mentioned one note in the original movie. I would call the Flash one note. Okay. Every time we see him, he is trying to make light of the situation the end. Yeah. They're like, he's like, what do I do in the end? And they say, go save this family. He goes to save a family. Almost like Doctor Strange waving a tornado around during Endgame. It's Mm -hmm. like, he has almost no, nothing to the story. He's like, so he has no no agency in the story? Well, kind of, yeah. You know, like, if you think of the original editing and dialogue of Justice League, even when he's the one who's supposed to bring Superman back to life, it's sort of like him agreeing to what people tell him to do. Mm. And him cracking a joke before it happens. But in this one, there's so much more questioning of whether what I'm doing is the right thing. Uh, Exploring his powers in the events that happen when things, when time, you know, as he says it, gets weird. uh, Or when he approaches the speed of light. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with Ami that the gunner alien who managed to hit him, Batman should have recruited him to be in the Justice League. Yeah. And like, that is a buzz. But Batman oh, should have recruited that alien so, to be in the Justice so League. So that was, a, so, so that was a thing that caught me a little off guard is, is with the Flash in this movie. Like, I can't remember if they do it in the original, so, so correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I don't think they, even try to give allusions to Flashpoint Paradox in the original Justice League movie. No, they don't. Because I think I think what they were trying to do with the nightmare scene was trying to trying to parallel that 
But they never referenced the nightmare point. sequence in yeah. 2017. Yeah. They, they never did. Right. They, no, but what, right. what I'm talking about is is the scene where they bring Superman back to life and Flash is uh, approaching the uh, speed of light. Can we talk about, just for like a split second, and I might cut this out, with the photo of... Jonathan. Jonathan Kent's photo drops into the water. Then they go get into position to get ready to jump and start counting down. And then the picture is still falling slowly into the water like a full half minute later when the box is. Yeah. I I, I, I noticed that. I, I, I it's such an odd continuity thing. It is. Like, it really is. There's just some little things um, with continuity that they... I feel like the reshoots for the Snyder Cut were aimed entirely at the opening mm-hmm. and ending of the movie. And possibly the middle Martian Manhunter sequence. I feel like everything else was all post-production work. Um, cause I, I agree. He, the, the quote that he says is he, he, they gave him, ended up giving upwards of $70 million. Oh, wow. The budget of an entire movie on its own to do this. But he ended up saying only about two and a half minutes of the movie is new footage. Okay. And I think that would be just about the insert clips of Superman's yelling ringing out. Mm-hmm. Which, again, there's another odd continuity point. Um, Superman causes that mother box to awaken. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else in the world flashes forward to after he's already had his funeral, which would have been days. Mm-hmm. And they're still standing there with their spears pointed at the mother box that woke up. Just saying. Okay. Continuity things stuck out to me. Yeah. Um. But and and and, to, and that's another reason why I feel like that wasn't originally the way that that sequence played out. Um. Especially when we saw an original, a different layout in Justice League. Um. And then you have the the ending nightmare sequence. Everybody knows he brought Jared Leto back to film that. That that was entirely new. Um, it was odd seeing the different rendition of the, well, it was odd seeing, See, this happens all the time, this is the problem, um, Lex Luthor meets Slade Wilson. We saw okay. him, it's it, the, the sequence of events in history goes, or the beginning of 2016, Zack Snyder steps away from the production. They're reshooting during 2017. In the middle of 2017, Ben Affleck steps away from the Batman and is not taking on that project on his own. And by the time we see Justice League, that scene is Lex Luthor talking about creating the Legion of Doom. We now know that originally, Mm -hmm. that scene was to deliberately set up the Batman by showing Arkham Asylum from a wide shot to get you a a, a visual cue of what Gotham was going to look like. Since... You know, Zack Snyder has a hand in the production of Wonder Woman and all these different ones. He was sort of the figure guiding the aesthetic of the universe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you have this little preview of what Batman's Gotham was going to look like. And then you have the setup of Slade Wilson learning his name. Yeah. And uh, I think Slade Wilson is one of Batman's uh, bigger enemies, if I'm not mistaken. He's known like Superman has Zod and then he has Lex Luthor. So, for Batman, it's uh, Joker and Slade. Joker and Slade Wilson. Slade Wilson is the one who can go toe-to-toe with him intellectually and physically. 
Yes or no? I've got Braun in TJ as the comic expert. He's he's doubting. He's got his eyes uh, eyes okay. in the sky. Let me let me get comfortable so I can break. I want to know you. what you would think about the setup, Joe Manganiello's look. I want to know how you felt about that setup for a potential Batman movie that it doesn't look like we're ever going to get. I was very upset about that setup. I know it's. I know I'm not going to get that paid off. I know I'm not going to get it paid off. Yeah, it buzz me, buzz me upset for that. Upset about one. it. That's okay. First and foremost, and always. Um, I don't think they. Let me refer, let me let me figure out the way to phrase this. Number one, Joe Joe embodied Slade Wilson. Everything from his voice to the walk to the way he approached Lex Luthor, the way he was like, "You better not be wasting my time." I was like, "That's that's Slade Wilson." So because it reflected him, your expectations money. from reading. He met my expectations. I will say this about your comment about. You know, those parallels. As soon as you started talking about, you know, the parallels, you know, Superman has Zod and he has Lex Luthor. Each one of each superhero's rogue rogues have um, a quality that that hero possesses inverted. So Batman is all about order and justice. Joker is all about chaos and anarchy disordered. Yeah, anarchy, all that stuff. Slade Wilson, yes, he can go toe-to-toe with Batman. Yes, he is his intellectual equal. He is everything you said he is. But he is not a dedicated Batman villain. Slade Wilson has always been an enemy of the Teen Titans. But for going up against Batman, he they have literally they have literally had a run-in when they were younger. Like when Batman was first starting out and Slade was just making a name for himself. That's why they referenced that uh, eye that was eye. missing. That's a year okay. one Batman, right? That's year one Batman. Batman's the one who took his eye on that one. That's why he was like, oh, you know, an eye for an eye and all that. That's why he looked at him and he was just like, okay, what what do you got for me? And he's like, well, Bruce Wayne's Batman. And he was like, I, I wanted Slade. Go ahead and you buzz me for this one. I wanted Slade to be like, mm, no, I don't believe that. That's but I'll go an look objective into it. fact about what you wanted. It is an objective fact, um, but I think they captured. Well, I think it's interesting. Character. We jump right from that to well, what ended up happening is Slade survived, and they're on the same team. Yes, that was a that was a stark difference, and I'm I'm trying to piece that part together. Yeah, like, like that's everyone everyone with Batman in that scene has a stake in it somewhere. I think Slade thing is like if they didn't write it in there, I think his is survival. I think um Well let's take Joker. a let's take a beat real quick and dip to mm-hmm. Batman v Superman. I'm sorry to cut you off. No no go go for it. In Batman v Superman, yeah. Uh the whole sort of arc there, the speech from Bruce Wayne is that if there is a 1% chance that Superman is going to end up their enemy, they're going to you need a united force of people to take on a quote-unquote Superman-level threat. That's also pulled from that Suicide is, Squad. That is my favorite quote from Batman versus Superman. He said if there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute. <laughs> Love that quote. Yeah, I'm going to have no points by the time this is done. Yeah, I'm, just guys, <laughs> I'm just talking at this point. It's okay. It's, okay. Yeah, it, it's, it's the... It's the quote that stands out the most as uh, Batman's motivation. So basically, every super-powered person who's left alive, based on every other movie so far in the DCEU, 
they all say the same thing. If you have a Superman level threat, everybody would have to be on board with one another. The ideology behind all that is that Superman is a unifying force, whether it's for good or evil. That's the thing. Whether he's a good guy, he's there to unite you. Whether he's a bad guy, he's going to be there to unite you. All those petty differences are supposed to be put to the side. His symbol is a unifying force. Period. But you have two you have two factions. You have Superman who rules Earth under Darkseid's banner. That is his gift to Kal-El is Earth. He was like you fight for me, you can have Earth do whatever you want, punish its people, destroy its fauna and flora, whatever you want to do. Then you had that's Superman's regime. Go back and watch Batman versus Superman. That's why all those soldiers wear the S on their shoulder. Okay. Then you have Batman's insurgency. All of that is taken from the injustice storyline. That is why people like the uh nightmare scene because it reminds them of injustice. Okay. Which originally, when I saw it in Batman v Superman. I, you know, there were so many things in the movie they were trying to set up that it was one of those things that if you remove that sequence from the movie, it changes nothing. Yes. But now, in continuity with this movie, if you remove that sequence, it does impact some of the reasons characters make decisions and some of the motivations they have. And then you start to see threads of it having real consequences for that story they're creating. So, okay. There you go. But um long story short, the entire ideology of the Justice League or the Justice League is the fact that Superman is a unifying force. Literally, Stephen Wolf said there are no lanterns and no Kryptonian here. That's why. If Superman did not exist, the Justice League would not exist. So, Curtis, having rewatched uh Batman v Superman, uh what did you want to talk about knowing the context of where it was going. Knowing where it was going, uh, the uh, whole scene where the Flash comes and warns Bruce holds more weight now. Zack Snyder's Justice League, Bruce Wayne brings it up again as a thing that it's not just a dream. I think it's a warning of evil yet to come. It's it's one of those things that because they pushed it into two movies, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like someone said that if Flash showed up and appeared to Batman... And then, well, I have to ignore this for now and finish the movie Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. That would be really hard to write. So someone just said, have him wake up again from a dream, and then he won't be sure it was real. Yeah. That's, uh... And it, 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 to me, that's the thing. It, I don't 100% understand the decision to make that a dream sequence. Especially after he just woke up from a dream sequence. Yeah. So... That's the a curious thing about that to me. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. In this movie, Batman is uh, kind of like, uh, he's, he's kind of on the downfall. He's a lot more violent than he was. He's breaking his old rules. He's he's more willing to kill people that he's pursuing. And, and even if he catches them alive, he brands them, which kind of marks them in prison as uh, people that, like, I think it's mentioned in the movie that uh, people who are branded tend to not live long in prison. Mm-hmm. So he's um, he's he's like lost his faith in in humanity, and he's he no he no longer sees the point in what he's trying to do. And Superman becomes his one driving force as the one thing that he can do to make the world a better place by getting rid of this potential. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna interject there. What you said about Bruce Wayne is true. That's 100 percent true. He looks at Superman as a threat, but when Superman sacrifices himself, and even Diana pointed this out, go back and watch um, Justice League. 
Superman's symbol is what? Hope, correct? When he died, that's what he gave to Bruce, was hope. That's why he said, I failed him in life. I will not fail him in death. Well, yeah. He uses that opportunity, that restored hope he had in superpowered beings and people to unite the Justice League. Why did he originally want to put a team together? Because of uh, that warning he got from the future from the Flash. That's part of it. Everything was to stop Superman and shut him down. So the emotion that was he he used that he used that that interaction he had with the Future Flash as a segue to like drive that that fight that he wanted to have with Superman. He was so, like, even in the well, go ahead. I failed him in life. I took this idea that we needed to stand together and twisted that into something that didn't stand for what he stood for. I won't fail him in death. I will still unite people to replace what he gave us. Mm-hmm. No. So, TJ, how did it feel watching the Snyder Cut in relation to Batman v Superman? I felt like I got a complete story from beginning to end. Um, I wasn't left with as many questions uh, from watching the Justice League. Um, a lot of things that I was looking forward to and a lot of the alluding um, from Batman versus Superman was paid off in this, in the Snyder cut. So that's, that's how I felt. That's, that's what I thought. The explanation of the war between the old gods and dark side, that scene was not very well, it was Steppenwolf it, in Justice League. It was Steppenwolf. Yeah. They completely cut and pasted a different character yeah. into Darkseid's position. Yeah. Yes. That scene in particular holds uh, a completely different weight in Zack Snyder's because in, in the in Justice League, it was just an invasion mm-hmm. attempt. Yeah. And to be completely honest, and I just got through this in there, to be completely honest, Steppenwolf was not that strong. He was not that strong compared to everyone he was fighting. People have pointed that out, that Superman uh, showing up basically ended the situation. And that happened in Justice League. The thing is, I don't feel like that's really here this time. I feel like that works for the character Steppenwolf. But you have two different things happening in Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is the character Steppenwolf is not really the ultimate threat that they're focused on. And so Superman is there to handle the part that Superman can handle while other characters are there to handle the parts they can handle. Right. The the heavy lifting. Yes. Right, because right. without... Because uh, even with uh, Steppenwolf fighting Superman... They're, they're, they almost fail. There is still a fail scenario where, where Darkseid comes in and, and gets the anti-life equation. Oh. Mm-hmm. We'll cut that out. Not, not that he got the anti-life equation... But, you know, he gets the anti-life equation once everyone is dead and he can go look for it. Yeah. But, let's be blunt, everyone died. Yes. We saw all their meat and bones and things get pieced back together, like, you know, it's friggin' Marsh, uh, or Dr. Manhattan. And, um, that was the other big thing I wanted to say for Zack Snyder's Justice League was, um... Zack Snyder, I used to talk about this on Critics Critique, um, made 300 and everybody said, okay, 
uh, this slow fastmo thing is happening. Like that might have been a fun movie or whatever, but you know, ah. he makes Watchmen a very substantive, researched. Uh, you know, one of the only graphic novels to be noted as one of the best novels of all time, and so people immediately start calling style over substance, and a lot of people start criticizing for over reliance on use of slow motion. Yeah, the same thing happens when he tries to make his own movie, Sucker Punch. You get to Man of Steel. At this point, he has scrapped all of slow motion yep. from that movie. Okay? He has scrapped the vivid colorations of Watchmen, the vivid, all this kind of stuff. He came at it from a perspective of trying to branch out of his restraints of how he ma- was making movies. Mm-hmm. Um, which even, you know, like Guardians of the Hool looks like 300 mixed with Watchmen. You know, that kind of thing. So, he tried to break it. And a bunch of people criticized him for just being, like, oh, an action director who can't write anything substantive or whatever. So you get Batman v Superman, mm-hmm. which is stuffed with so many different attempts at character motivations that they end up contradicting each other to the point where you had a really clear-cut reason for them to fight, and then they ended up taking it away by making everything about Martha, and now Superman has really no reason to fight Batman, you know, you, he kind of does because those threads aren't gone about why he l- dislikes Batman. Mm. All this was just to say I feel like Zack Snyder is constantly trying to listen to the criticisms people give him and trying to put it in the next movie he makes. But apart from the stylistic choices of Dawn of the Dead, there is a visual reference to every style of movie he's done. Yeah. There are deliberately references to Watchmen's soundtrack, editing, and cinematography. Deliberate references to 300's style editing through action sequences with slow, fast mode. Uh, mm -hmm. And cinematography, including the compositing that they did to make it look like Thermopylae and uh, ancient Greece with Wonder Woman when she's at the ruins of Greece Mm -hmm. where she picks up the arrow. The... uh, Action sequences, the way that they are staged beginning in Sucker Punch. Yeah. And the way that they use digital edits to keep longer takes of things between characters. Mm -hmm. The way that characters like Wonder Woman and The Flash move. Yes. Are a lot from Sucker Punch. And then you have Man of Steel. You have Batman v Superman. You know, he also isn't someone who has a, a very long filmography. This is essentially a swan song for every movie he's ever done. Okay. Uh, yeah. I agree. Um, it's just Zack Snyder is very, very, very visual. Yes. Um, uh, so, Justice League. Do any of you see any reason why you're going to go back and watch that other than this one? I'll probably go back to it as a way Same. to for as a way to see what a director can do when he has creative control as opposed to when you have studio interference trying to push something that maybe not what the director wants but what they are but kind of like with chaos walking if that makes sense mm-hmm. I'll stand by um I feel like there were two waves of Justice League being cut down. One wave was Joss Whedon trying to turn it into his own kind of movie. Mm -hmm. And a second wave was a studio saying, 
we need to make this digestible based on the research we've been getting because we're not making the money we want, so make it under two hours. Because that sequence, and I'll stick objectively for the evidence to one sequence, Aquaman and Batman. When Aquaman meets Batman, Aquaman knows who Batman is for seemingly no reason. We don't understand when he learns that in the original. But it takes barely 30 seconds of added footage. Mm-hmm. Not even really that of added footage, because they added a different scene of him coming, you know, there's, there's, you literally could have had the same runtime where he clearly, Batman, very logic that to me was a lot simpler than I was imagining in my head. I'm trying to convince someone to build a team. Let me tell you, for example, what my role in the team is. I'm Batman. Yeah. The same thing that he does with uh, the Flash. Yeah. He shows him who he is. Like, it's a, it's, it's, it's so, in retrospect to me, it feels so obvious that I, it feels like one of those things, it had to be cut for time. It can't have been a choice on purpose. Okay. I think. I don't know. And TJ, why you would go back and watch? I would go back to it simply for the laughs. Sim- uh, oh, okay. And simply for the laughs, because number one, there were so many parts in there that, personally and i can only speak for myself made me feel like what was i watching and then i i'll go back and watch it for the comparison i need to know exact like you i need to dissect it scene for scene just to see what the differences were mm. i want to see where we were compared to where we are ultimately my thing and i'm really hoping that i get to start doing this is we know curtis does twitch streaming tj we know you do twitch streaming my twitch streaming is not going to be games it was always going to be fan editing Mm-hmm. And I already have a fan edit of Batman v Superman that removes Doomsday entirely. So the whole arc of the story is just that Batman beats Superman and that's when he has the revelation that nobody wants him and he leaves. So hmm. the what I want to try to do is create a Justice League that begins with the creation of Doomsday. And is split into a Justice League Part 1 and Part 2. I just don't entirely know how to do that. I feel like that's a giant beast to go to. But that's also how I could learn different things about the editing software and whatnot. So I'm hoping to Twitch stream creating that story. And then adjusting the aspect ratio to something more. What I would want to feel for a home viewing experience. Because... I did eventually start appreciating that the framing of certain shots was intended for that aspect ratio. Yeah. I did eventually stop paying attention to the aspect ratio. But, Curtis, you and I have been watching a lot of movies on weekends together. Yeah. You know the feeling, we've both gotten that weird tick of excitement when we start watching a movie... And it's not quite in, like, 2.35, like, widescreen. Mm-hmm. And it's not quite 16 by 9. It's in that weird... There's that slight black bar across the top and bottom where you mm. feel like you know you're getting the full picture, but you're getting as immersive of a picture as you can. Yeah. I want that aspect ratio for this. It would be nice. I don't know if it would work with the shots that are there, there were shots in Batman v Superman and there were shots in Zack Snyder's Justice League where in Batman v Superman this is why I'm so curious about the re-release that's going to be in the aspect ratio of the Snyder cut mm-hmm. uh the faces are intentionally squished TJ did you ever notice this watching Batman v Superman 
Yes, I noticed the squish. A very good example of this is if you pull up on one on ta- uh, one tab in, on Google any image of Henry Cavill's face in its normal proportions, and you go pull up the scene where he bursts in in the beginning of Batman v Superman to save Lois, mm. his head is like it's round, wide. And this is from processing the thing down to the aspect ratio they made it. Yeah. Adversely, when the team takes off in Justice League in their jet to go fly off for the main climax, it was squished horizontally. To fit the aspect ratio? To fit the aspect ratio. Which, that would be a completely digitally created shot for a ship to take off from the side of that thing. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been filmed and then digital added to the film. Yeah. So it's a post-processing, someone made a shot, and in the process of making it fit the aspect ratio, someone just squished the image. So I think think there's room to play with the aspect ratio and see what I could get. So I'd be really curious to do a fan edit of it. Okay. That's why I would go back to it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed some of the thoughts that we had here. I'm really excited that we had uh, TJ on here. Uh, Thank you guys for joining us and listening. TJ, thank you for being on. Always a pleasure. Um, so we are, again, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. So if you like this, make sure to check them out at musiccitydrivein.com. Uh, I'm Eric. You can find me at High Contrast FLM. I'm Curtis. You can find me at 90s Gamer 407 and on uh, Twitch at Merrick underscore Tainment. And I'm TJ. You can find me on uh, Twitch at Mecca underscore K-I-double-D Mecca Kid. And you can find me under all those handles on both Twitch and Facebook and Twitter. You can also find me on my podcast at uh, ATL Nerdcast, all one word.